Does that mean we're close? Yeah, yeah, getting close. Oh, good. First time I ever heard anything about Guyana was years ago in a pirate bar, yes, a pirate bar in San Francisco, drinking aged rum for the first time. Well, a friend of mine told me about this new gig he'd gotten, promoting a small South American country as an ecotourism destination. Conservation efforts and ecotourism have been a big thing in Guyana about as long as they've been a thing, period. But now the country is known not only for its pristine rainforest and hundreds of species of native birds, but also for its burgeoning oil industry. I wanted to know whether the ecotourism folks were annoyed by the oil folks. Whether they worried that having to fly into an oil boom town might dampen the ecotourism experience for people. Or whether they could just sort of ignore it all. So we planned a trip to Cayman House, or as Americans might say it, Cayman House. Cayman House is an eco-lodge and research center in the heart of Guyana's Rupununi region. Unlike the rest of the interior of the country, which is mountains and forest, the Rupununi is savanna. There are cowboys there and wide open spaces, and it's way closer to Brazil than it is to Georgetown. I was excited to explore a different part of the country. And then I messed up my flight plans and our producer, Sarah, had to go alone. First on a tiny plane to a city called Lethem, and then on a two hour drive in a pickup truck over dirt roads. Hi. Hi, I'm Dilin. I'm Sarah. Nice Sarah, to meet nice you. Sarah, nice to meet you. Welcome to Yupakarian Cayman House. Thank Please you come so inside. much. Thank you. Cayman House is primarily staffed by members of various local indigenous tribes, which is quite common with ecotourism destinations in Guyana. The country has provided a model for ecotourism that can offer indigenous locals an income and visitors an immersive experience. Sometimes eco-lodges double as research stations, and that's definitely true of Cayman House, where they research, yes, Cayman, specifically black Cayman. If you've never seen one before, they're in the same family as alligators. A lot of Cayman are small, but the black Cayman can be up to 14 feet long, so a little bit terrifying. The boat, a small metal one with a motor attached and some benches to sit on, heads out at sundown. The guide brings snacks and, of course, Guyana's famous Eldorado-aged rum. It's humid and sweaty and there are tons of mosquitoes. But Sarah says it's so picturesque and gorgeous, just you and all these animals around you, that none of that really matters. Have a look at the area. Okay. And then... As nightfall, we will come shining. If he has a bright torch, we will come shining, looking for birds or animals, whatsoever we can see on, okay. on the water top. Can I have, have some water before we get on the boat? Oh, yes, okay. you are. If you want to have your urination, I'm sorry, you can use the bushes. Oh, okay, no, I'm actually okay, but thank you. And it's not just Cayman you'll see from the boat. Guyana's forests and rivers are teeming with life. Right here is just the monkeys, the birds, and the lucky enough you see tapirs swimming across or capybaras, but otters are common here. When they do spot a caiman, they pull them up to tag or check them, and sometimes they take guests along for the ride. 
see I'm shining. Yeah. And I switch my own and you keep shining, you'll see an eye. <gasps> what is yeah. that? That's the black diamond. <gasps> yeah, that's how we do catch them, you know. Along the way, guides like this one, who referred to himself interchangeably as Josie and Jose, ID birds by their call and tell visitors all about the local area and customs. The founders of Cayman House are an American couple who lived in Guyana for a number of years because one of them was a researcher studying, you guessed it, the Black Cayman. They developed relationships with community members and created a library for local school children. They even started to look after the area's stray dogs, who now call Cayman House their home, and give the staff some extra mouths to feed. Guyana has about a dozen of these sorts of eco-lodges all across the country, and people come from all over the world to visit them. In 2019, Guyana was named the planet's top ecotourism destination at ITB Berlin, the largest tourism trade show in the world. 2019, that's the same year the country shipped its first barrel of oil. That honor of top ecotourism destination is one that Guyana had been working really hard to win for close to 20 years. So I thought surely there would be some concerns about how becoming one of the world's largest oil producers could impact that. But it turned out the opposite was true. That's our story today. I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Light Sweet Crude. Does it make sense to you that the same company that controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? How about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between these guys and your online activity. And that's why I use ExpressVPN. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Every site you visit, video you watch, message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you use ExpressVPN on your devices, the software hides your IP address. That's something that big tech uses to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. This has become sadly very important in my line of work. It's also why ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET, Wired, TechRadar, and a lot of other sites. What I like most about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to use. You download the app, it's very easy to install. You tap a button and then you're protected. I like hardly even think about it anymore and it's just working away in the background on all my devices. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash drilled. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash drilled to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash drilled right now to learn more. 
this holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, Earth Breeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, 40, 40%, 40%. Go to drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash drilled. Kayana has had a well-deserved global reputation for conservation for a long time. In 2009, it was one of the very first participants in a UN program called RED, which stands for Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Forest Degradation. Basically, it lets high-emitting global north countries pay low-emitting global south countries to preserve their forests. So Norway, an oil-rich country, committed to pay $250 million to Guyana, provided that Guyana could show certain conservation metrics along the way. That deal was signed by former president Bharat Jagdeo. Yes, the same Jagdeo that's vice president today and the government's biggest supporter of the oil industry. The payments from the Norway deal were supposed to fund low-carbon development. The idea was that the money could help Guyana develop, but do so in a way that would limit greenhouse gas emissions. It was heralded as this great example of how we could value ecological services. Things like forests full of trees that capture and store carbon dioxide, for example, or the preservation of biodiversity. But it still had the whiff of colonialism about it. Norway, a country that is tremendously wealthy from oil with a trillion-dollar sovereign wealth fund, telling Guyana how to preserve biodiversity. Okay. So you were saying you were going to get X dollars if you maintain deforestation rate at 0.05%. You give me 50 million over five years. Dane Gobin is the CEO of the Iwakrama International Center for Rainforest Conservation and Development, the crown jewel of Guyana's conservation and ecotourism efforts. But at the same time, what you're saying is that you have to satisfy other criteria to get the money. Yeah. So, so you go into the shop to buy a pound of butter and 
you pay for the butter. And the guy is saying, so before I give you the butter, you need to tell me if you're taking care of your children, if you wash your car. More than a decade before the Norway deal was signed, Guyana created a 371,000 hectare reserve called Iwakrama in the middle of what's called the Guyana Shield, an area with tremendous biodiversity to the northwest of the Amazon rainforest. The government established the Iwakrama International Center there to research and pilot sustainable forestry and agriculture projects. And they opened the Iwakrama River Lodge as one of the country's first ecotourism destinations. Iwakrama has had loads of international donors over the years. Its current patron is King Charles. And I'm saying, hold on, the butter is a dollar. I'm paying you a dollar. What's this other stuff? So it's, it's, it's a challenge because the donor country doing it is taxpayers' money. So they have to do it on the best practice. Good governance, anti-corruption targets should be met and so on. It's a donation, right? And that's a challenge. So government is saying, hold on, you're paying for the forest. You've agreed that this is the rate of deforestation. We maintain it. What's this about other stuff now? This is a business transaction. The people who want this have what they call steel ropes attached. It's not just to protect your forest. And it actually is condescending. Because especially on the basis that you have destroyed your forest, but you're actually... Yeah. Yeah. So you're giving me money to almost help the breed, the air that you breathe, but you're telling us how to spend it. Gobin says he's been on the other side of this sort of situation, too, with payments to local indigenous groups around Iwakrama. We have had that at a level of the communities. And let me, I can understand from their perspective. So when the communities are in timber or monies from us, we're worried about how this money is going to be spent. Will they go open a rum shop? What will they do? So, I mean, we'd like to see a school built. We'd like to see scholarships. But, but the, this is their wood. We're paying them for their wood. We can't tell them. So what we did with the communities, and it's a model, and I don't think it will work at the bilaterals, but we work with them and we says, look, you set up a committee to look at how the money will be spent. So in a way, there is no clean money. It's always tied to something, which begs the question, where do you draw the line? For Gobin, there's little difference between taking money from Norway or taking money from, say, Exxon. To date, the company has donated $7 million to Iwakrama through its foundation. Guyana is part of a very important landscape known as the Guyana Shield. It's actually one of the last remaining intact forest ecosystems in the world. This space offers a great opportunity for conservation. Exxon's CEO may not have visited Iwakrama yet, but its marketing team sure has. They've been busy making videos there to promote the company's commitment to conservation in Guyana. We really need to nurture it and ensure that we have this for future generations to come, even while we use it in a wise way. Gobin is well aware of the optics and how people might be irked by a conservation organization receiving millions of dollars in donations from an oil company. And yes, the obvious question is, 
you know, should we be taking money from yeah. the oil company? And my question to that is, okay, oil will be there. We continue to say, you know, if you read the papers, if you read the Kaito, you'll see, you know, Exxon is stripping Guyana. The question is, if we've accepted that they're stripping Guyana for a moment, they're giving you something back. Mm -hmm. It could be more, but they're giving you something back. And if, if they didn't give you, they would get knocked for not giving something back. <laughs> when they're giving, no. The question is, should you be accepting? Mm -hmm. We are not advocacy. We're not advocates. We, don't, we run a rainforest. We don't get involved in politics. But we, we have to take care of our people. And if somebody is saying, here's a grant, you can do uh, uh, capacity building and training, you could improve the livelihoods of Guyanese, you could do all kinds of things. Why should we say no? Dane's not stupid. Dane just doesn't care as long as there's money. Remember Melinda Janke, the lawyer trying to stop the offshore drilling project in court? For Jinky, there is no way to separate the money from its corporate influence. There are always strings attached. You'll find a lot of people in this conservation sector in this country is not that interested in conservation, but they are very interested in being given grants to do what they term conservation work, which generally conserves nothing. How does it conserve nothing? What do they do? What WWF were, they did the thing offshore Guyana and came back in raptures about the wonderful marine wildlife we had and that it's possible to do oil and protect marine wildlife. I'm not entirely sure what planet you can do that on, but it's not this one. But Exxon is dropping more than just money. They are allowed to dump 4,000 barrels of sewage into the ocean every day. So 4,000 barrels of sewage every day adds up to over the life of the project, mm -hmm. 1.2 billion gallons of sewage in our pristine ocean. Mm -hmm. There's 1.2 billion barrels of oil in that particular field. So we're getting roughly a gallon a shit for every barrel of oil they take out. Exxon's money has those same steel ropes attached as other international donors. But instead of requiring good governance and a crackdown on political corruption, they're asking Iwakrama staff to appear in marketing videos and say that Exxon is supporting important conservation efforts. Some might say they want to greenwash. This is not a personal benefit. This is a benefit to Iwakrama, its community partners, and to the nation of Guyana. And as I said, we could probably get some more. But at the end of the day, you know, the recognition is, I mean, it's something that, um, that I don't think people on average realize. ExxonMobil bet five or six billion dollars without knowing what was there. Shell left. Shell was partner, and they left a few years after because there was nothing. Gobin is referring to the original contract that Exxon had with Guyana, which was signed in 1999. At the time, Exxon's exploration partner was Shell. But after the two started exploring in earnest in 2008 and didn't find anything for a few years, Shell left that partnership. Now, shouldn't they be given some kind of, what, 
uh, recognition for that investment in Guyana. Because if there was nothing there, they would have walked away with a $5 billion loss. Mm. They stuck it out. And I'm not advocating for them. I have no interest. Actually, I would not like to see oil out there. But the reality is, you look at our healthcare system, look at our education system. Guyanese want to go to Harvard. Guyanese want to go to Yale. Guyanese want better schools, better healthcare. So who is paying for that? We heard this from a lot of people in the conservation space, this idea that oil is obviously not great for the environment, but what's done is done, and they may as well use the oil money to further conservation efforts. I really wanted to hear from the one person everyone I spoke with in Guyana told me to talk to about conservation. Hi. I'm sorry I'm early. Is it okay? Jeff? Good morning. Good morning. Hi. He reminds me of my dog. Annette Arjun runs the Guyana Marine Conservation Society. She shared some similarly contradictory views while we were walking around her neighborhood near the coast in Georgetown, Oleander Gardens. Those are oleander um, plants, the oleander flowers, and this area is called Oleander Gardens. But because of all the old homes being bought out and demolished and replaced by these um, high-rising apartments. We now have Chambergé, Exxon um, as our neighbors. So I always tell people, you're now coming into Oily and the Gardens, <clears throat> which is, um, you know, a, a bastardization of our beautiful Oleander flower. So <laughs> welcome to Oily and the Gardens. But while Arjun seems not so thrilled at the idea that her neighborhood has been turned into condo central for foreign oil execs, she's also happy that Guyanese property owners and developers are benefiting from that change. Yeah, that's going up now. These are three. Each apartment has its own pool in the back. Wow. So those go for those go 5,000 US per month. Wow. And they're all Guyanese business people. Mm-hmm. And then renting out mostly to oh, yeah, oil well, companies. Yeah, it's, all, it's all, all oil and gas. But that's why I was saying that they mm-hmm. they carve back in terms of local content. It gave a Guyanese um, opportunities in the real estate market, you know? Yeah. So this is Tracy's um, oh, back here. 10 apartments there and another five here. Wow. And all of them are already rented out. Wow. And I went to school with her. In Barbados? Uh-huh. So lots of young people like our age as well mm-hmm. are getting opportunities to become, you know, food caterers, service providers, logistics providers. Right, because they have to hire They local. have to hire locals, yeah. They Unless they can- Arjun says when she first heard Exxon was coming to Guyana, she was worried. I didn't know much about Exxon other than when... There was that New York article that basically was, you know, exposing their culture um, and reality of funding climate change. Oh yeah, the denial denial um, campaigns. Mm-hmm. That was the first time Exxon came on my radar. And 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 to me, if you're you're, you know, top tier 
of your company is is doing something as as insidious as that it was it was terrible it was terrible for me because if you're you know funding climate change uh, denial campaigns how could you be even considered environmentally responsible so having all of the, the technology is one thing but that technology is useless if your culture is one of of deceit She's also very clear-eyed about the climate impacts Guyana is already experiencing and the role that fossil fuels play in exacerbating those impacts. In, in a period that's supposed to be a dry season, you're still having torrential downpour. You're having short torrential downpour that will flood your city in, 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 in minutes. You know, all of that you're seeing that, 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 that was never what our weather conditions to be like in the past. In Shell Beach, where I worked, we had in, in, in cases, parts of the beach, we, we were losing like 90 feet of beach per month. That is sort of unprecedented erosion in terms of the rapidity of that. Um, as a, actually, as a result of that, that, that effect, uh, the, the community of 280 members 90% of them had to relocate inland to higher ground. So that was what, in my opinion, I always refer to as my first experience of climate change refugees. But she doesn't necessarily see any of that as a reason not to drill for oil offshore. She believes Exxon can and will do better in Guyana with respect to environmental protections. So for sure, I think Exxon um, has an opportunity, a golden opportunity, to um, do what is right by the environment. Um, and if they don't, we'll, you know, we'll call them out. And I think as well too that the government also has to hold Exxon accountable because Exxon gets away with, 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 with slackness if it's allowed by the administration. And she sees whatever environmental degradation oil drilling might bring as an acceptable trade-off for money that could lift Guyanese out of poverty. Although she was eventually sent to boarding school and taught to fly planes by her father, Arjun grew up in the indigenous village that her mother was from. And she saw there up close the poverty that a lot of Guyanese citizens still deal with today. Guyana was a very poor country. And um, growing up with my Amaranian grandmother in a riverine community where there was a lot of poverty as well, including working on Shell Beach where, you know, people have to eat sea turtle, meat and eggs exist. Um, seeing poverty was a, a part of my reality. Shell Beach became the first place Arjun's organization worked to conserve. Today, she works with local residents there to protect the turtles that they once had to eat to survive. But she's also seen poverty force young people in the area into sex work, just to access daily necessities. Seeing um, young girls who had no economic opportunities and would have to have survival sex to be able to buy an underwear or buy a bra or to eat is part of my reality. So in terms of seeing, you know, this country being blessed with so much natural resources, um, including the recently um, discovered and produced oil, um, it, it, made me, it makes me realize that, look, if you have 
you know, abundant natural resources. And you could use those natural resources in a very responsible manner to help, to help lift your people out of poverty. Um, that's what I, I, I support. It makes a lot of sense. The looming question, of course, is whether it will actually lift people out of poverty and whether it will do so before it destroys any of the other natural resources that Guyanese people depend on. That's where Janky, the attorney we heard from before, thinks a lot of Guyanese people are engaging in magical thinking. The, the global north has basically broken the global climate system as a result of greenhouse gas pollution. And I think we should stop talking about emissions and call it what it is, which is pollution from fossil fuels. It is incredibly stupid for anybody to say, well, because you did something bad and broke it, we now have a right to do something bad and break it even further. The global climate system is precisely what it says. It's a global climate system. The idea that more money is going to make things better in Guyana is also false. Guyana is not a poor country. Guyana is an extremely rich country. It's the people who are poor, and they're poor because it's the same set of people that have governed this country and run it into the ground. So the idea that more money will make any difference is not based on any evidence whatsoever. All the evidence points to the government, whichever government is, is whichever party is in power, it doesn't really matter. Um, what it points to is squandering of national income. And I think it's disingenuous to be claiming to be a conservation organization and at the same time trying to make allowances for the fossil fuel sector, which is destroying the planet. Now, Marine Conservation Society supposedly cares about turtles. They actually started off as the Ghana Marine Turtle Conservation Society. That's the organization that Annette Arjun runs. You only have to look at what oil does to a turtle to realize that saying on the one hand that you want to protect turtles and saying on the other hand that um, fossil fuels can be beneficial in some way are two completely contradictory positions. It's one or the other. Either you protect the ocean or you support fossil fuels. There isn't any middle ground. At Iwakrama, Dane Gobin is still hopeful that selling ecosystem services, both to oil companies and to other international buyers, is a potential path out of poverty for Guyana that keeps the focus on conservation. When he talks about it, he sounds very similar to Janky, actually. So ecosystem services would be as very common as carbon, which people speak of, as tourism. It's a service from the ecosystem, the, the forest, the environment. Uh, but then you get into the common hydrology, water. Major ecosystem services. They say the next wars will be fought over water. Unfortunately, a lot of people have recognized forests for these ecosystem services. But no one could put a value in it. Now, if I got a loan from the bank, I would say we have arrived as forest managers. And I've always believed we're in the conservation business. This is not any fluffy thingy. This is a business. 
you have a car business, you have a stationary business, you sell hardware, I sell ecosystem services. Give Guyana the respect and the admiration for being a carbon sink and starting that dialogue about how do we actually make sure that this country stays as a carbon sink? Because that's the most important thing for the planet. If every country was a carbon sink, we would not be in the mess we are in now. All right, this is where people need to stand up and say, there is a better future for Guyana and we can help you to do that. Get rid of these loans, get rid of the debt, stop lending money to governments who then squander it and burden the population with it. But simply pay us, the people, for that carbon sink service. Pay us, the people, to create a marine protected area over our exclusive economic zone and protect everything that's there. That's good enough. The key difference between the two is that Gobin sees no problem with selling those services to Exxon or its partners to offset the emissions they're generating by drilling for oil offshore. But for all of his faith in Guyana's valuable ecosystem services and his acceptance of the oil industry as a sort of necessary evil, Gobin also realizes that a catastrophic oil spill would ruin all of it. Is there any concern that something like an oil spill, for example, if it was big enough, could impact the ecosystem services? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And that's the worry. You know, the thing is, I wouldn't sit here uh, and say it wouldn't. I also wouldn't sit here and say it can't happen. Yeah. Because chances are... It's going to happen. I mean, there's a lot of evidence around that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The yeah. data speaks for itself. You think? You yeah. think? So, you know, again, the best, the next best thing to that is what? Plan Prevention ahead. Prevention and planning. Plan yeah. ahead. Mm-hmm. So this is going to happen. It has happened before. It will happen again. So if it happens. So, so I know government is very uh, actively working with the companies to look at planning, to put uh, put in place mechanisms, emergency mechanisms to save the coastline. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable that the board government and the and the companies are, you know, spending enough resources to be able to deal with it. But even as the country starts to build the skills and resources required to deal with oil, another environmental danger is looming. We are outlining the gas to shore project and what it will bring to our country. That's Guyana's president, Irfan Ali, announcing a new project, one that's separate from the offshore drilling and governed by different contracts and arrangements entirely, the gas to energy project. Now remember, managing gas has been something of a problem for the oil companies since the beginning of their production in Guyana. It's a waste product they're supposed to be managing. Up until late 2022, that mostly meant burning it off, what's called flaring. But now that they've redesigned their gas compressor, Exxon says it's back to re-injecting the gas underground. However, the company has also repositioned gas from a byproduct to another revenue stream. Now it's being presented as a huge gift to Guyana. The gas in this phase comes to the government and people of Guyana free of costs, free of costs. 
And as both oil companies and even some large environmental groups have done all over the world, the gas is being presented as a bridge to energy transition, a key part of the president's low carbon development strategy. We are taking the issue of environment and climate seriously. Natural gas is far less polluting than fossil fuel in the supply of energy. So this project also is part of our climate resilience plan. Structural transformation. This project allows us to have structural transformation. And now it's time to talk about paltering again, because of course, if your problem is methane emissions, it's helpful to focus everyone's attention on carbon emissions. And it's true, gas does emit less CO2 than coal or oil, but it emits a whole lot of methane, which is a greenhouse gas that's about 80 times more potent than CO2 over 20 years. And methane isn't just released when people burn gas. It's emitted all along the way, when it's extracted, when it's refined, when it's transported, and when it's burned. The industry refers to this as methane leaks, which sounds like an accident. Oopsie. But studies are piling up that show it's just par for the course when you're using gas for energy. In the past decade, scientists have discovered not only that all of our existing gas infrastructure emits a lot more methane than anyone previously thought, and a whole lot more than the industry has ever admitted, but also that it's worse for the atmosphere. It's also really short-lived, which is good news. That means if we could dramatically reduce methane emissions now, it would buy us some time to reduce all of the other greenhouse gas emissions. But instead of doing any of those things, the industry is pushing the world in the opposite direction, most recently using the shortage of gas in Europe caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine as justification to lock in gas for decades. Gas often gets talked about as being a bridge to renewable energy, something we can just use until there's enough renewables on the grid, or that can help to stabilize solar and wind sources. But what we've seen in reality over the past 20 years is gas being baked in as the dominant energy source. It's a bridge to nowhere. And on top of all that, in Guyana, there's the fact that there's actually a lot more gas being produced than the country could ever possibly use for energy. The 50 million cubic feet of gas that they're bringing we only need for our electricity we only need about 30. Mm. but that's the first phase 50. they're going to be bringing 120 million so it's four times what you actually use uh, and they are insistent well we need to do something with the gas because if we don't do anything with the gas then exxon would have no choice but to flare it that's our story next time Light Sweet Crude is a Drilled and Damages co-production. Both shows are Critical Frequency Originals. Our editor and senior producer is Sarah Ventry. Sound design, mixing and mastering by Martin Zaltz Ostwick. Our fact checker is Anna Pujol-Mazzini. And our First Amendment attorney is James Wheaton. The show is reported and written by me, Amy Westervelt. Additional reporting by Kiana Wilberg in Guyana and Antonia Yuhas in D.C. We had additional assistance in Guyana from Jamal Thomas, Salvador de Cares, Wilderness Explorers, and the staff at Kaiman House. 
Special thanks to Michael McChrystal for his help as well. Our theme song is Bird in the Hand by Fornone. Sing a Simple Song was originally written by Sly and the Family Stone. It's performed in this episode by the Young Ones of Guyana, licensed by BME Music. Additional music by Martin Zaltz Ostwick. Our artwork is by Matt Fleming. Marketing is handled by the great Maggie Taylor. PR and media outreach by the wonderful folks at Tink Media. Lauren Passel, Ariel Nissenblatt, and Devin Andrade. The show is supported in part by generous grants from the Doc Society, File Foundation, the William Collins Kohler Foundation, and you, our listeners. If you would like to support our work, you can sign up for our newsletter at drilledpodcast.com. You can also access transcripts of the show there and additional information. Paid subscribers also get access to ad-free episodes, early releases, and bonus content. It also really helps us if you would please rate or review the podcast wherever you're listening and share it with friends. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.